Hey everyone, this is Austin of the Noobs and Knockouts podcast. I'm placing this message at the beginning of our first four episodes for future context and new listeners. These episodes are presented unedited, and in our first two episodes, some issues with our recording methods caused part of the beginning of the episode and part of the beginning of the back half to get cut off, and we sincerely apologize. In addition, name for our podcast was not nailed down until after the recording of the fourth episode, and that is reflected in the episodes. Welcome with that out of the way, <laughs> where we have two people we have two people austin that is me uh who has watched a lot of wrestling and david who that's him who has not watched any wrestling uh none zippo <laughs> no no and so we're gonna watch wrestling and just kind of talk about it even though you're not gonna see any of the watching because that's because that would be against terms of service <laughs> i have my is, that, is that the title we're going with by the way austin and david watch wrestling i, I like it uh, it's all right. It's nice and simple. Nice to catch you. Yeah, like, all, right, yeah. all right, we can roll with it. I did. I have one of my new wrestling shirts on that I can't see it very well because my camera is not in a position to be able to catch it. But it's cool. I've I've got a local burger joint shirt on. Yeah, like that's slightly thematically appropriate. Yeah. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so I guess we should start. Um, what our back? I our, I say our background of re- in wrestling. I guess it's more like mine. Our well, I, I I guess once you kind of spiel, I can talk about like like kind of what you filled me in on and what I generally know. But like at, at the very least, let's get your spiel. Yeah, so. sure. Um, I'm actually a real uh, a late starter for a wrestling fan. Most wrestling fans who are adults got started when they were small kids, and they just kind of never stopped watching. Uh, my mom thought wrestling was trashy and stupid. And so she did not really like, she did not want my dad to encourage me to watch. So I caught glimpses of it as a kid, just as because like it was on channels, but I never like sat down and watched it at all. Uh, that in 2011, uh, it's November. I don't remember what date my dad, uh, won a radio contest to get low tickets to a WWE show they were doing in Huntington, West Virginia, which is about 30 minutes from where I live. And he offered to take me and I was like, sure, let's, let's go ahead and do that. And then I like watched it and I kind of loved it. And then, but I didn't start watching until like January of 2012 is when I started watching consistently is, um, I'll explain the, what, what that means to, like their shows in a minute but then also that christmas i got wwe 12 which was the newest of yearly annual video game release for wwe and i love that game so much and that was actually a big part in how i got an idea of like who all the wrestlers were is playing the game and then so i've just been i've been on and off wwe for the last eight years i've the first time I stopped watching at any point was fall of 2014. As I like to call it, the first time I realized wrestling could be bad. <laughs> not I was not. I didn't enjoy that period at all. But then I'll come back and come back on. And then I've also started watching other wrestling uh, in that time too. Um, I currently watch All Elite Wrestling, which is the next biggest American promotion. I watch New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is the biggest Japanese wrestling company. Uh, I sometimes watch Impact Wrestling. That's a long time kind of indie level uh, wrestling company. Uh, I used to watch Lucha Underground when that aired, which is a, a short running um, 
show on uh, the El Rey Network. That's why I didn't last very long and no one ever heard of it. But it was so incredible and I will definitely get David to watch an episode of it at some point. <laughs> yes. I, is that the one you told me about the other day? Yeah, where they have the, like whack crazy characters like uh, King Cuerno who is a big game hunter and he comes to the ring with a giant deer head on and he his casual wear is like a suit and a cowboy hat. It's inc- It's great. Amazing. He's so he's, and he's not even in the top ten of the weirdest characters on that show. Oh boy! All right, we'll get into that when we cover that. That yeah, that we will. We're not. We're not going to cover a lot of that right now. Outstanding. So, yeah. So, like, I guess and, tell, and kind tell of where people we, oh, yeah. like what you know about wrestling. Oh boy. So all of it comes through like Austin. There's like okay. I, I learned the tiniest little bit of it way back before I ever met you. Um, mm-hmm. Like some time, sometime probably like middle school, early high school, because there was a Simpsons episode mm-hmm. where the family finds out Grandpa used to be like basically a WWE wrestler. I have heard um, about this episode, but I've never seen and- it. It's it's dumb. It, it, like like most of the new like most of like the new episodes of the past mm-hmm. like two decades. No, wait, no, not two decades. Like 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 decade and a half. It's been mm-hmm. it was dumb. Um, but um, basically we fi- like they they they're going through like an old storage locker of grandpa's and they find a blonde wig and Marge theorizes that oh he's gay and he used to be a drag queen. Um. But then they find out no, he was he he was in like basically WWE as a prissy heel. So I oh. learned what a heel was thanks to The Simpsons yeah. way back, and that stuck with me. Um, um, so I learned that, and then all the rest, I just get these interesting little snippets through Austin here because um, um, Austin and I are are very our, our friendship is uh very much predicated a lot on like mm-hmm. rambling to each other about our special interests um I feel and bad so he talked a lot to me about of, i feel bad for like all of my friends because i ended because none of them have ever liked i've never had another friend who likes wrestling and so but i end up just keep talking about it with them at some point and like forcing them to at least know about it <laughs> I mean, I mean, that's me with with my stuff too. Mm-hmm. Like, like nobody gives a shit about like half the like half the random Broadway things or like Jim Henson stuff or like like Disney whatever. Mm-hmm. I know but it's. Yeah. I, I feel you. No worries, and I and I'm enjoying this personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, what I've gotten from Austin are these uh basically these kind of anecdotes of all these different little things of how the company is is run, namely kind of corruptly. Um, yeah. Uh, how how certain how certain stars have kind of risen and or fallen in the wrestling world? The kind of politics of the a the inner workings of WWE plus the politics mm-hmm. of kind of how WWE interacts with other industries and how in- other industries interact with each other, especially the indie scene. Mm-hmm. Um, all this to say, the main things I know about WWE aside from general and writing in general it's outside of like general basic vocab terminology whatever that you know baby face heel mm-hmm. yeah all the different um um worldwide wrestling uh yeah. sub or you've told me about for the uh tabletop uh, yeah i've, I've are, are just 
was just gonna tell that, 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 that honestly that, that might be fun to stream is the world that yeah well, whenever we play the worldwide wrestling rpg which that was a that was an a like a indie made rpg game that's it's what it sounds like it is and i found it online a couple months ago and i immediately bought it and told all my friends that I'm, i want to run a game of it yes i'm so excited <laughs> I, a i'm excited to be dm'd by by Austin and B, I'm excited mm-hmm. for the craziness that ensues. Um, yeah, it's going to be great. But basically, what I know outside of that, just that general stuff, is that WWE and wrestling and like commercial wrestling on a whole is very, very delightfully chaotic and messy. Mm, um, yeah, pretty much. And there are a billion ways in which it is so. Um, and so I've pretty much just strapped. Uh, you, w- what led to the impetus of this was that Austin told me so much about all this crazy stuff, and it kind of blew my mind, especially kind of as a theater person uh, and as WWE, something that's very theatrical. I'm kind of like, you know, this is kind of crazy. I'm kind of really intrigued by how all this works, so I've strapped myself in for the roller coaster, as it were, uh, and suggested, hey, it'd be really fun to to make a thing out of you explaining wrestling stuff to me and my kind of learning through your eyes how to do this so that's kind of how we came to this point yeah yeah uh i I feel like as a as a theater nerd and a wrestling fan i feel like i'm in a really good spot to explain wrestling to non-wrestling fans in a way that they might like it because i feel like that's kind of the hard (laughs) that's kind of like a hard path that to as a wrestling fan to get into is that like non-fans don't really get it and part of it is the I think part of it is uh, not to get too deep into wrestling history because we're not going to do that today. I've determined that's too that's too thick of well, a yeah, history not to go into. But yeah, but really, um, I want to put it like: is it like wrestling as a as an industry historically speaking? Uh, it has a it has its roots in uh, carnival shows, and in, as such, um, they were really key on making sh- on trying to f- trick the audience into believing that the wrestling was real it was still it was always uh fake in the sense that they uh scripted the outcomes but they wanted the the audience to believe it was real and they and the industry as a whole would go to extremely far lengths to try to um keep people from figuring it out even though if you uh see newspapers from like the early 20th century they write articles about how wrestling is fake. <laughs> so, I do have a, I, you, you kind of explained some of this to me before, mm-hmm. but I, uh, I do have a quick question, kind of mm-hmm. before you go forward on that. Um, when you say like it's it's like a carnival show, like as like as a piece of like theater at like the local. Barnum P.T. Barnum-esque, or what was, what was kind yeah, of like it, the, like, it was, it uh, was, it was, it was, that's kind of an early origins of, like, pro wrestling as we now know it, is, is kind of a, is like a, it's part of the, the local carnival, is that you can go see the wrestling matches, okay. and, and you might even, uh, be able to, uh, get in the ring, and that, well, that's a whole other thing, is, is part mm. of their obsession with proving that, um, this fake wrestling is actually legit. There used to be a real big emphasis on mm-hmm. these guys being actual legit, like tough guys and pro wrestlers. So in case that somebody tried to pick a fight with them, cause they thought it was real, they could actually knock this, this idiot on their ass. 
and not blow it wide open. Because if, if your world, because their their theory was if the world champion got into a bar fight and got his ass handed to him, that's going to look badly on this whole mm-hmm. idea. Again, it was all kind of them trying a little bit too hard, I think, in the sense that ever that everyone kind of knew. And anyone who knows anything about actual fight disciplines also understands just from watching wrestling, it doesn't look real. It's very entertaining, but it doesn't look like real fighting even a little bit. Mm-hmm. What? Where was my point here? Uh, I don't even remember what I was talking about, to be honest. The, the origin. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to derail you, but like you were just generally talking about like how it got us origins and, oh yeah now i remember um, what i was getting at how okay. that's kind of evolved into yeah so that was the 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 idea is that the industry tried so hard to prove it was real keep kayfabe as the term goes and that term comes from the mm-hmm. carnival days of when uh there the idea was when there were like not people who weren't <laughs> in the know in the nearby in, in the nearby kayfabe was a code word to tell other wrestlers like hey there hey there's some p- people nearby keep character okay. Is they'd be like, kayfabe, kayfabe. And that kind of evolved to mean like the fictional in-universe of pro wrestling is kayfabe. But keeping kayfabe, and it wasn't until the mid to late 1990s that basically they stopped trying so hard. But I feel like that that part of that, that, the fact they try so hard and also the fact that a lot of the fans, the fan perception of wrestling is um, lower income, uh, redneck, kind of people is that there's kind of a perception that wrestling is dumb, stupid, fake fighting for morons. And so mm-hmm. but I think as a theater, as a theater nerd, I, I can come from a good spot to really talk about like what, how, what rest, how wrestling works in a really interesting, it's, it's basically like it's stunt fighting or like a form of, of, uh, um, cooperative, uh, not necessarily a dance, necessarily but cooperative movement and it's done like live in front of an audience no take no no takes no uh redos you just do it live and you go with what you go with it and you're able to engage with the audience with an audience of people directly in that moment and your audience and the audience is just as much Mm -hmm. part of the show that's super cool Mm mm-hmm uh, so to get to what we're going to do today is, as I mentioned a couple of times, I had thought about trying to do a bit of a, a wrestling history lesson with this episode before we get to watching anything. And then I realized that would take a very long time. Uh, WWE's first real pay-per-view show, WrestleMania one, even then that wasn't technically pay-per-view, but whatever was in 1983. I think I have no, 1980. No, I have that date wrong. 1985 was when that was 1983 was when Hulk Hogan and became mm-hmm. the world champion for the first time. That's what I was thinking of. And WWE has had a primetime show on, on cable television every single week since 1993. That would be Monday Night Raw was their first show. And so there's a lot of history. <laughs> you, could, you could spend a long mm-hmm. time just going over like the history of WWE in particular. And so I'm not going to do that. Instead, I'm going to talk about what show I'm watching now, why I chose this show, and kind of what WWE was like in that moment as a primer for this show in particular. Yeah. And so the show we're watching is an episode of Monday Night Raw, uh, June 17th, 2013. This would have been about a year into me watching the show. Uh, I probably watched it live 
Yeah, I probably watched it live or that would have been, I might've been in like a summer musical and I might've had to watch it on tape delay after rehearsal. I did that a lot during the summers of 2012 and 2013. Hmm. And I think this is actually a really good show for a few reasons. First of all, it's just a really good show overall. I don't want to get it spoiled into it, spoil it or anything, but it's uh, looking back on it. I think it's a really cool mix of like what makes wrestling work. Uh, both in terms of like matches, okay. but also like um, storylines and segments and stuff like that. But also, it works kind of good for a for, for a new time watcher because it's the show after a pay per view. The night before was Payback 2013, which is a show I probably watched, but I, I would have watched it by pirating it because I'm going to be honest, I pirated pay per views for about a year. <laughs> of my life mm-hmm. so fair, fair enough yeah uh, i blame you no it was it, as a high schooler with no money but i wanted to watch wwe pay-per-view that's where all the important stuff happened and so yeah. uh and so um the night after the pay-per-view it works because like a lot of of storylines were ending or at least we're at a pivot and a pivoting point so there's a good jumping off point because they got to start up for the next pay-per-view next month. WWE does a pay-per-view every single month, sometimes more than one a month. <laughs> and so store. And so it's not, it's, it's not, it's a good entry point. Cause like new storylines are starting up. So if you've not watched before, it's fine. Um, I will. I what I want to do is uh, go over like first, like the structure of WWE, and then the major power players of the at the time in terms of the wrestlers, of course, not the real life stuff. So WWE at this point in time has two mm-hmm. prime time shows. They still do technically. It is Monday Night Raw, which has recently gone to three hours. It was a two hour show. Suddenly they jumped to three hours in the in June of 2012 because USA Network was like we want three hours now. And they're like, okay, here's more money. And then Friday night Smackdown. Um, these shows are technically supposed to be considered the same level of show, but uh, raw is always was their first primetime show. And it's pretty much always been their number one. And so mm-hmm. Monday night raw and Smackdown. And then the champ. And so the championship situation, because you're going to see a lot of champions on this show. So here's the power structure. Because there's a very hierarchy. Ooh, I'm excited. Oh, I'm excited. Okay. I'm so excited. At t- <laughs> so at the top, we no, have uh, the WWE champion. That's not surprising to know. And. No, uh, no, you know, yeah. you know. Right. And then, then you have the World Heavyweight Championship. So to understand why that exists is. Back in 2003, I want to say, WWE had a ton of talent. Had too too big of a roster because of some stuff that happened that I'll explain in a later video. They have two primetime shows. And so they figure, and they don't have any major primetime wrestling um, competition at this point. So they figure we're going to have kind of an artificial competition. Is we're going to take half the roster and put them on Raw half the roster and put them on SmackDown, keep them exclusive to those shows and kind of make it a competition kind of thing between the fans. Like which show do you prefer raw or SmackDown? And so you need championships for 
those shows. And so the World Heavyweight Championship was created to kind of be an equal, a, a equivalent to the WWE Championship. It was supposed to be a World Heavyweight title of the same acclaim. It was, it, it was for a time, but over time, WWE did, stopped caring about it as much. And so it, it kind of fell down. It fell in prestige a little bit. It's still a world title, but it's now got a definitive number two belt. Like it's not considered. What, what like what's the uh, uh what's what's the main difference between the two? Um, aside from like the fact that one like like aside from the fact that one's like lesser now. Like when it started up and they were equal, what was the, kind of the big difference? Not really anything. It's it's more of a well. The idea is <laughs> is, is in the sense that like. Number one, it's for the re- the most popular wrestlers, the main eventers, as it were. Like these are the these are the champions okay. that like have the biggest title matches, and they compete at the and they main event pay per views. Like they're they're for the big stars. And the world heavyweight championships kind of fall yeah. in prestige, so it's not quite the same level, of, but it's still for like the top tier guys. And that's in comparison to the Intercontinental Championship and the United States Championships. Those are both like the mid-tier belts. Those are for guys who like aren't at world championship level, but they're still really good. So they're so they can they're like they're middle middle tier champions. Mm-hmm. And those belts, in theory, have prestige in their own right. It kind of is a depends on the year kind of situation. Like it's it's that's very much an ebb and flow. Like sometimes these belts are super important. They're like. Up there, and ter- they're like just as important to WWE and to the into like the story. And sometimes they're like you forget who even has them. You forget they're even the, when they show up on TV. You're like, oh yeah, they're champion. I forgot because mm-hmm. they don't. They, no one cares. It, it very much. I don't remember what it's like at this specific point in time to be honest. But that is how it. It very yeah. much ebbs and flows and then you have the tag team championships which all the other but all those other belts are singles titles it's one-on-one or but multiple multiple fight but that's a whole other thing tag team titles that's two on two you know those are teams mm-hmm. and then the divas championship <laughs> Can't believe I immediately picked the show where I got to talk about the this belt. So the Divas Division, as it was called, I I I, I can kind of believe it. The, <laughs> from what right. you told me about Divas, I can believe it. As you might guess from the name, that's for the women's champions. That's that's the women's. Uh-huh. That's for the women to fight for. Uh, this WWE is super big into its own branding to the point it feels a little weird sometimes. But basically, they're it's not the fans. It's mm-hmm. the WWE universe. They're not rest. The male wrestlers aren't wrestlers. They're superstars, and the women's wrestlers are <laughs> divas. <coughs> Uh, I could go into a very long spiel about how much I hate that term and how I felt like it already showed how little you care about women as a wrestling group to call them divas in comparison to the superstars. And and eventually yeah. they will get rid of the belt, uh, both the title and eventually it will become the women's championship and they'll call the women superstars. But we're not in that period of time. We're about a year away. Also, we're also about this time women's wrestling in WWE kind of sucked. Uh, basically, they saw it as 
what we're going to do is we're going to hire uh, fitness models and we're going to teach them how to wrestle. But otherwise, we're going to have them be on TV for about like five minutes of a time on a show. And they'll be like, um, and they'll and they'll kind of be like there to be eye candy more than to have significant stories or um, appearances on the show in comparison to men. And also, most of the women's wrestlers at this point weren't very good. Because, you know, they weren't hiring people who had extensive training in wrestling and then and then just putting them on TV. They were hiring women with no experience in, like, wrestling and throwing them on TV as fast as they could. And also, ha- and also they were coaching them to do things that, like, cat-fighty. Like, you know, you gotta pull the hair and... and Bring the claws out, because again, we're not. This isn't serious wrestling. This is this is this is their eye candy. But we, it will get better soon. And uh, if I get a chance to talk about the turn, I will probably f- give us an opportunity to talk about the turn of women's wrestling in WWE to be taken in, in a more serious way as it is now. But we're but that we're not there. It's 2013. We're if you're a fan of women's wrestling, you're uh, just kind of hoping that WWE gets better soon. And so there's the chance. So there's the champion. There's all the championship belts that you're going to have to know. And then I think the one more thing before I start talking about wrestlers is I think you need to understand is the money in the bank, because that is relevant to a storyline that's currently going on at this time. And also the next pay-per-view is the money in the bank pay-per-view. So the money in the bank is a match where you get, Somewhere between six to ten guys. It kind of depends on a given on a given year how many they choose to put in these matches, and you have them compete in a ladder match. A ladder match is when basically the goal of the match is to not pin anybody. It is to uh, climb a ladder and acquire an item mm-hmm. that is hanging from the ceiling. In, in this case, it is the Money in the Bank briefcase, and these matches are always really fun and insane. And I'm definitely going to show you one at some point. Yeah, no, I, I've heard I've heard a lot mm-hmm. about ladder matches, and they seem like a like an utter blast, like no. basically a self contained MacGuffin. No, it is absolutely ladder match. Also, ladder matches are legal weapons, uh, despite what you what some people despite what might seem as a pre as a conception uh, about wrestling is that not it's not like they're just hitting each other with chairs every single time. They do do that sometimes, of course, but like there is a, there is a rule set and generally speaking, you can't use weapons in a normal match. You generally need to be in a specific type of match that allows weapons. And in a ladder match, ladders are legal to use as weapons, not just to climb on. Ooh. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of time, they spend a lot of time, like, setting up opportunities to, like, throw people into ladders or just straight up grab a ladder and start hitting people with it. It's, it's a blast. <laughs> I'm here for it. But yeah. But then, uh, so, a Money in the Bank briefcase. What does that do? Uh, you win the briefcase, and you have one year, but... You can use it, and you when you cash in your briefcase, you can uh, give yourself a champion, a title match for the WWE Championship or the World Championship at any time. And at any time is a significant meaning there, because ninety percent of the use of the Money in the Bank briefcase is what they'll do is like the champion will have a match, 
and he'll, it'll be of a gruesome, grueling match, and he just barely wins, and he's tired, and then suddenly the Mr. Money in the Bank, as it's called, he'll be like, yeah, I'm cashing in my briefcase now. I'd like my title match right now, please. <laughs> and so, because the oh. champion is beaten down, it's a pretty easy win. Now they've they obviously don't do that every single time. They've they've had especially because it's existed for 15 years now, so they've done different they've done different stuff and sometimes a good guy a babyface will have the briefcase and he won't be an underhanded dick about it. He'll just be like, "I want my title match next week." Instead of being like, "I want it right now, please." But generally speaking, they use it to nice. heal the world title by being by being an underhanded asshole who who takes who beats who wants to win a title off a guy who just got beat up for like 15, 15 to twenty minutes. And Yikes. so, yeah, and so next month in the timeline is the Money in the Bank pay per view where they will do what that says. They will compete in the ladder match, and it's at this point in time, no one had ever failed to uh, win the match to cash in the money in the bank contract. Now in, in the last like eight years, they have had people fail just to, you know, mix it up. But at the time it was like, if you were muster money in the bank, you will be world champion. And that was kind of the appeal. Okay. But also, yeah, one, also one of the storylines is about the Mr. Money in the Bank, which is uh, now what I want to do is to kind of a way is because um, I'm, I'm looking down on my phone right now just so that people know what I'm doing is what I'm going to no, do. Yeah, because I don't know what it looks like to the viewer. So I'm going to pull up the payback pay-per-view that happened literally the night before. And then we're going to, I'm going to go down at least like not match the match necessarily, but like look at the major players and like, as a remind myself, like, okay, this is what just happened this last night. This is what they're going to bring up today. So the major players. So so kind of the, the context. Yeah, some context for what's about to happen. And it's an easy way to look because they just had a pay-per-view, man. A pay-per-view. So first and foremost, the WWE champion right now is John Cena, as it turns out. You might have heard of him. Ah! Yeah, I, I, I saw I, I saw him in one of the preview images, and I was like, "Oh, yeah, he is he is champion at the time. He had just he had beat he is a few months into his twelfth uh, title reign at this point. I don't remember how many times WWE champion he is at this point in time. It's a lot. Um, but he he's been the champion for a few months. He beat uh, The Rock at WrestleMania twenty nine to become champion." And so he's just kind of doing his thing at this point. And this is a good opportunity to kind of talk about the John Cena dynamic. Is if you is, yes. is right now in 2020, John Cena is a beloved up-and-coming celebrity figure. <laughs> 2013 is a bit of a different I don't even call him in 2020, I'd I'd call, I'd call him an A-lister at this point. Maybe. But def 2013 is a different story. He hasn't broken into Hollywood yet, and kind of more relevantly right now, he hasn't got he hasn't made the fans love him again yet. So basically, a, a history of John Cena and why, like, if you look at uh, the peak of John Cena, which is the mid 2000s to the late 2000s and the early 2010s, a lot of the fans had a lot had a very uh, split reaction to him, where it was more of the adult male hardcore wrestling audience hated his guts 
even though the more casual audience and people like children and family and families more really liked him. And so to understand how that happens, even though as a character, there's no real reason to hate him necessarily. I mean, he's a bit of a dick, but you'll learn in WWE, most top baby faces are a little bit dicks, but overall, there's, uh, no real, it's not, there's no real com- super compelling reason if you're just watching the show why you should like boo the shit out of John Cena, even though that's what fans did. And so it kind of comes from a couple mm-hmm. places is first of all, he had a big when he became the top baby face, he changed his character a lot. Uh, what got him super popular in the first place is he was basically an, a white rapper character. Uh, he, he, uh, you know, uh, Stephanie McMahon, as the story goes, Stephanie McMahon, the daughter of the boss, Vince McMahon, learned that John Cena was really good at freestyle rapping, and she thought that was funny. And so she put, they put him on TV to do that. And he'd just, like, rag on opponents and just come up with these freestyle rap bits that were absolutely hysterical and also a little too ed- – very early to, to 2000s edgy, to be honest. Most of them age terribly, but some of them are also really still really funny to me. Like, um, like he'll he'll say stuff like he say like one time he talks about his he's gonna beat a guy. He's like, I'm gonna get I'm gonna whack you more times than in a masturbation tournament. <laughs> but there's also a whole lot of like slut shaming, <sighs> gay jokes, you know, two thousands humor. But people ate it up. Uh, yeah, well, you know, you know, I get it. You know, well, yeah, two thousands. It just doesn't age well now, but people were really two thousand in the demographic. Yeah, people were really into it. Like people, like he was initially a heel, but he became a babyface because everyone just thought he was hilarious, and and like liked him. And so <laughs> WWE's like, well, this this guy's got a lot of charisma. He's got the look we want. Is it because because Vince McMahon loves the idea of this top star being like a bodybuilder type, or at least like muscular, good looking dude. So like this guy's perfect. But yeah. we can't have this dude be this edgy little white rapper if we want it to be the top guy. We want him to be like the face of the of the brand, you know, appeal to the children. We can't have him doing this rapper stuff. So they phased it out of him. And mm-hmm. he kind of became more of a, of a bland, like, goody two-shoes kind of a good guy. And his fans were like, what the fuck is this? This isn't what I like about him. Why did you change him? The other part that kind of, uh, well, there's uh, two more parts. The second part is, unfortunately, he kind of came into be he kind of became the top guy at the same time as to people, st- as it stopped being cool to like WWE in the sense that like, first is that WWE, uh, in the mid two thousands started to trans, uh, to uh, transition more to being TV PG as if they were TV 14 for, a for about a half a decade to a decade before going into it. <laughs> That was just uh, the, a uh, late '90s thing to try to keep up and get uh, get like the um, get the like um, Jerry Springer, um, South Park, uh, Beavis and Butthead kind of demographic. Like that's what they were aiming for in the mid late '90s. Mm-hmm. So they changed their up, but they were kind of being like, we want to go back to being kind of like kid friendly. There's more money to it. There we can get like bigger sponsorships. We we like being TVPG. The fans at the time weren't appreciative of that, yeah. and and John Cena was mm. the face of WWE TV PG, and so in a way they kind of resented Cena for being the the PG guy. 
in, in a way that wasn't necessarily seen as fault. Uh, the third big problem was another th- change in the wrestling fandom at the time is especially is that fans started appreciating more the idea of being a good wrestler in the sense of being a more athletic wrestler, doing more interesting acrobatics and athletic m- m- moves and stuff. Cena wasn't very good as a wrestler for the longest time of his career. He was okay. He was good enough, really. But he what but he kind of did the same few moves and he would consistently beat guys who the fan who a lot of the hardcore fans saw as better wrestlers, people who they would have preferred to be in those positions. And he'd just show and John Cena would roll in there and beat him. Mm-hmm. And it, and it, and fans kind of like, hey, fuck this guy. He's beating like Cena's beating all your favorites, and it's like, hey, I don't appreciate mm-hmm. that. And so it kind of all kind of, so it's it's all whole big like all kind of big nasty storm to like now I don't remember if they've started these chants or not, but like if you see John Cena's entrance, you're as likely to hear boos as you are to hear cheers, because. The, the fans that liked John Cena really liked John Cena, and the fans that didn't really hated him. And it's an interesting thing to watch, because it was kind of the first time, it was also kind of the first time that WWE didn't listen to the fans about this. Cena's not the first time that WWE started uh-huh. to make a number one guy, a face of the company kind of guy that they didn't, that the fans didn't take to. John Cena is the first time, though, that they didn't really listen to the fans that didn't like him. Okay. And that's and that's because Cena mates had got the ratings. He sold the merch for. It just felt like a weird. This vocal minority won't shut up about how terrible he is, but he makes us money, so we're gonna keep going with it. Mm-hmm. So it is kind of a weird dynamic. That's, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. And WWE was also hell bound and intent to kind of like prove that this is fine like that they were totally okay with it this was kind of the birth of the time when they would be like well you know love him or hate him at least they at least they have an opinion about him like that that was yeah. their go-to phrase of the time. yeah that was their go-to phrase of the time when like they would get boot see cena would get booed all the time they'd be like well at least they care enough to boo it's great yeah this any press is good this is what we want <laughs> And it's like, not really, it's not really what you wanted, but you're cool with it in the end. So Cena's champion, he had just gotten out of a feud with a guy named Ryback, who is not on the show. And this is kind of the last time, and his feud with Cena is the last time he'd be really interesting to me. So I'm not even really going to talk about it. Just know that he's, he's not, Mm -hmm. he just ended his storyline as the world champ, as WWE champion. He's moving on to something new now. And then you have the World Heavyweight Championship scene, which is being held. The current World Heavyweight Champion who won the belt uh, at the pay-per-view the last night was Alberto Del Rio. Alberto Del Rio was a Mexican wrestler, and he was basically like, I think he was officially called a Mexican aristocrat. But he was basically a take on the asshole rich guy trope, but he's Mexican. Uh, Like... It's a common trope of wrestling to have yeah, an, sure. evil rich guy, like an evil rich asshole who's like, ha ha, I have more, I have millions, so I'm better than all of you peons. 
and this and that's and that's yeah. That well, uh, I was watching the watching the super the super eye patch wolf video the other day. The first heel, he was kind of like that, wasn't he? Himself? Yes, Maxwell Jacob Friedman. Yeah, he's kind of a take on that. He he's yeah he absolutely is a take on. I'm I I have more money than you middle class schmucks in the audience, yeah. so I'm better than you. Okay. So Alberto Del Rio yeah. had beaten uh, Dolph Ziggler for the world title uh, the previous night, and he's still kind of feuding with him. Dolph Ziggler, um, as stupid of a name as that is, uh, and always has been, but he's he's a really interesting wrestler. He's called the Show Off. He's called uh, the Show Off, or I always joke he's like Mister Steel Yo Girl. But basically, the idea is that he's he is is what it sounds like. He's this cocky, arrogant heel. He's super athletic, and so he's like, "Hey, I'm a better wrestler than all of you people, and I'm more attractive than you." And at the time, weirdly though, they just pulled like yeah. a double turn with Alberto Del Rio and Dolph Ziggler the previous night because Zig because Alberto Rio was uh, as champ before uh, last night the pre- previous night he was actually a babyface they were doing a run with him where he was more of a every he was kind of like a, a good guy every man almost uh, in comparison to uh, a wrestler that I will want I will wait I will I will not tell you about until you see him because I will I want to see your reaction to him. But basically, he's he's supposed to be like okay. the you'll you'll know you'll know. But basically, uh, he was the baby face. He's just a good guy, you know. But fans weren't crazy about him because he wasn't really great at it. He was he's always been much better as a dickhead rich guy heel, and so that's what they were going back to. Meanwhile, Ziggler was the heel as you'd expect, but. The in yeah. the previous match when they were competing for the world title, they Ziggler was champion and Del Rio just beat the shit out of him, like even worse than you'd think. Like they had multiple, like like a story of the match is that Del Rio was was straight up kicking Ziggler square in the in the head, and it was and the, it was to make the audience be like, oh, is Ziggler okay? And it was all storyline, but that was it was it was to pull a double turn is yeah. to make Del Rio the heel again. And Ziggler, a baby, a sympathetic baby face for like, this dude is like dying out here. <laughs> Rip. Cheer, cheer, cheer. Feel bad for him, please. <laughs> please clap. Please, cl- please clap. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's where they're going right now. And I. Th- and like they're kind of still doing that rivalry because you know he did it, it's it they did just do the big moment so that's there, and then you have outside of the title scene but still like big name wrestlers at the time is CM Punk and I have to talk about him and Chris Jericho is to explain who they both are is there they just got out of a feud with each other but they're both big name players in their own right, uh, Chris Jericho is kind of a legendary a legendary uh, figure in wrestling. He's kind of traveled all over the world. He's been a he's a world-class wrestler always has been. At this point in his career, he's kind of like aging rock star kind of guy. Like he he's the lead singer of the metal band Fozzy as it turns out. And so like right now he's kind of a full-time oh. wrestler. He's more so he 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 was at this point in his career where he's just kind of showing up for a few months to do some mat do do a storyline or two and then go back to being in his band. So that's what he's kind of what he's doing right now is he's kind of being like a rock star, like part timer that everybody likes. I don't I don't even know what he's doing at this point in time. Yeah. But CM Punk so, <laughs> not yeah. CM Punk is a 
He's kind of the first, one of the first like indie wrestlers to make it super big in WWE. Um, in WWE, yeah. there's WWE as as in the past had this kind of weird dynamic with indie wrestling where they kind of like don't like it in the sense that like they want they like it when their guys are made in WWE. They don't they don't they don't really care about your your wrestlers doing your indie wrestling stuff. It's not the big leagues. That's that's that. It's not the you're just doing backyards and working in ballrooms. You're not you're this you're not in the big time, okay? And so CM yeah. Punk was kind of the first indie wrestler of of the mid 2000s era of indie wrestling to really break through in WWE and become a big star in his own right. And his his story and his story to get there is kind of being of almost a voice. He called it the voice of the voiceless, and he was kind of he he kind of he was. His his shtick was kind of like he leaned on real life meta stuff more than wrestlers usually did. Like he wasn't necessarily breaking the fourth wall all the time. He did that a couple of times and it was weird. But he would he would kind of lean into he would like be aware of like the what the fans thought and what really happens backstage and that kind of made people interested in him. Plus he was a really good wrestler. And in a time when WWE didn't necessarily care yeah. about guys who were good, really good wrestlers, and right now he is at he is working with a guy named Paul Heyman, and Paul Heyman is a man is a manager. Uh, normally, uh, he Paul Heyman is an interesting history. He was um, the owner of a of a uh, of a wrestling company called Extreme Championship Wrestling (ECW) in the mid '90s, and I could go into a whole spiel about them. But basically, they went bankrupt because Paul Heyman was a bad businessman, and he kind of came under the w, and he kind of came under the WWE umbrella when his company went out of business in 2001, and he had worked for WWE in a backstage like creative, like in charge of writing the show capacity for a little while. Then he left to go do his own stuff, and now he's back purely as like an on-screen manager character. And normally he's a manager mm -hmm. for a guy named Brock Lesnar, who is an athletic freak of a man, and that is the explanation of his character in that one sentence. Base he was like a wrestling prodigy, both amateur wrestling and in pro wrestling. He just immediately took to it. He was insanely athletic and strong. <laughs> And then he quit wrestling after two years because he hated the travel and he hated the backstage politics of it. And he went to go try out for the NFL and that didn't work. Then he went to the mixed martial arts and he became USC heavyweight champion. Like legit. Oh. And then in 2012, he came back to WWE and now he's working there as a full-time, as not a full-time, as a part-time basis. And he's still there today doing part-time work. But at this time, uh, Brock Lesnar is kind of in one of his down periods where he's not appearing on TV. But they still wanted Paul Heyman to be doing uh, work on TV because he's really good as a manager. So they put him with CM Punk as to give him some, give Heyman something to do. Another person that Heyman was managing at the time, and is the is a segue into the next set of people to talk about, is the Intercontinental Champion Curtis Axel. Uh, Curtis Axel is a third generation wrestler, i.e. his father was a pro wrestler and so was his grandfather. And that is his character. <laughs> his name is based on his parent, on his lineage. His father was Mr. Perfect Kurt Hennig and his dad was Larry the Axe Hennig. So he's Curtis Axel. 
And he's okay, but also he was never as good as WWE really wanted him to be. I'm only really mentioning him here because he's, a, cha- he's a champion right now. So I guess I should. <laughs> and then um, the current United States and tag team champions are my favorite group th- stable of all time. And I'm so excited I get to talk about them. The Shield. The Shield is Dean Ambrose, who is the United States champion, and then Seth Rollins and Roman Reigns are the tag team champions. And basically, these dudes mm-hmm. are badasses. They showed up in their they showed up in SWAT gear, tactical vests and shit. They entered from the audience, came down through the audience, and then they just show up and beat people's asses. And it was awesome. They only they were only existed in wrestling for about a year and a half. I have a whole story about a time the time where um, I had tickets to see them uh, to go to a WWE show in May of 2014, and my number one thing was getting to see the Shield. And two weeks before that show, they did the breakup angle. No, and I was like, no, <laughs> I was going to see the Shield. Are you kidding me? No, it, it was so terrible. Uh, but yeah, they're ba- oh. that's basically their characters. Is that they're almost like bully uh, right now? They're heels, so they're basically like bullies because they show up and they just beat people up three on one, and they just run roughshod on everybody. But they are cool Ooh. shit, and I'm so excited that they are on this episode, and that they are the champions, hmm. and then um. I'm pretty sure the last wrestler I want to talk about, this is actually going to time out very nicely. Oh, you know what? There's two more people I'm going to talk about. Is, is, uh, uh right now is a tag, a prominent tag team that's kind of, uh, having a big storyline at this point is Team Hell No, composed of Daniel Bryan and, uh, Kane. <laughs> Kane would be a very difficult character to take forever right. to explain Kane. So I'll just say he's basically supposed to be like a dude who has supernatural fire powers and is sort of a demon-ish. It really kind of depends on the year when they of how much he's just a dude and how much he is a demon. That's why that's the hell part. The no oh, part oh, is oh. is Daniel Bryan, who is this it was another indie legend who made it big in WWE and this is all this is kind of the beginning of his rise to the top in WWE that would spend the next year ha- going happening but he's yeah. team, it's team hell no because at the because when at the time as an anno- when he was an annoying heel as opposed to now where he's kind of a good guy he would be he would chant yes 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 to be really obnoxious. But then people really liked him, so they started doing the yes chance with him. And it's like, well, that defeats the purpose. Like, that kind of defeats the purpose of being healed. That bully. So. Hey, why'd you have that in your streams? Uh, what? 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 Did you not hear that? No, I didn't. Go away. Um, sorry. Keep going. No, so they that's a bit of counterintuitive as a as a heel for the chant fans to do your chant with you so he changed it up to now he's yelling no yeah. no <laughs> and eventually the fans would do that too because of course they would <laughs> but they'd lean into it so how of course, did they become, yeah, yeah. so how did they become a team that's hilarious through some shenanigans they both wind up in wwe anger management together 
and they become like an odd couple best friends group as they kind of like bond over anger management and <laughs> anger management and they like become best friends and are tag champions for a while and now they're kind of like phasing that out um, but they're still a feature on the show but I love that tag team. You, I need to, I would need to show you some of their video, some of the videos they did together because they were hilarious. They did a hair, a ha- when Harry meets Sally parody. What the hell? Like they did like the diner scene. <laughs> oh my god! What? No, it was, it's it was it was insane, but they were great. And then uh, the last thing I could mention. Yeah, that, is, I, that sounds awful. No. And then the last thing is the women's cha- is the Divas Championship scene is relevant is right now the champion is AJ Lee. Uh, AJ Lee or as I call it my first favorite women's wrestler and I have I got a picture of her at Comic-Con when she was Divas Champion. It was great. So basically Oh, oh her. Yeah. Is so basically AJ Lee kind of what made her appeal so much to fans of the time. And what got her such a big following, besides the fact she was actually a pretty solid actress for, you know, for WWE standards. But also what what the fans liked about her is like, as I mentioned, this was a time when most women's wrestlers were fitness models or fitness model-esque. She she wasn't. She was five foot nothing. Uh, I mean, she was certainly not unattractive, but she was. But she wasn't like a model kind of a girl. She was more of like a nerdy girl next door. Girl next door, and that was her. She so she was going for aesthetically, and also she was a big wrestling nerd, like legit. So she's a real life nerd and wrestling nerd. So obviously, all the other wrestling nerds like me (laughs) liked her a lot, and. She kind of uh, also got her as a character. She got really popular of her being crazy. That's about as deep as I can go yeah. with it. She's crazy. She's crazy L- to the point where literally hearing the word crazy would cause her to go nuts. It goes to go nuts and start beating people up. <sighs> Oof. 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 Indeed. Ouch. Uh, and right now she Ouch. was feuding with uh, Caitlin. In WWE, like half of the women only have one name. You just kind of get used to it. <gasps> and Caitlyn, uh, she didn't really have a whole lot of a character besides being kind of a cool, nerdy chick like uh, AJ. But instead of being five foot nothing, she's like built like she's like built like a tank. <laughs> and they, her and AJ mm-hmm. used to be best friends, but then AJ betrayed her for fame and glory. And now Caitlyn's like, "Well, fuck you." <laughs> So I think that's about as far as I would need to go for a kind of an explanation of what's the what right now. And oh, 54 minutes exactly is the stream right now. I timed that great. Hey, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, so there's kind of the um, there's kind of the explanation of where we're going from here. And so, right. yeah, what I'm gonna do. Uh, just for the people who are not watching, but for future reference, uh, is, is that, of course, uh, is against Twitch uh, terms of service and copyright law to show uh, WWE, to watch a WWE show live with the content showing on screen. Uh, we don't really have the screen set right. up right now to be able to, like, stream ourselves watching the show, and but watch the show on a second screen. We don't really have a setup to make that work. So we're not going yeah. to. 
We're going to watch the show yeah. ourselves. It is two hours and 17 minutes. <clears throat> Which, and when the show... <clears throat> When the show is over, we are going to be back here and we're going to talk about it. Yes. Yep. Nice then, proper uh, um, mm-hmm. uh, 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 podcast like. Yeah, know. like a proper. I, it'd be fun to do this podcast style and like have like actual thoughts. Is we'll 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 talk. We'll think about it. I don't know. We'll we'll, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, what, yeah. We'll see how this goes. Which I think has gone yes. pretty well so far, personally. But we, uh, but I'll go ahead and end the stream right now, and then uh, see you guys back in about June two and a half 17th, hours. 2013 episode of Monday Night Raw. How how what do you think, yes. David? Oh my, that was a lot. Like like Austin can attest to this. I it hit me in waves. It was kind of like this roller coaster of. Of at first, I was just kind of sitting there, like enjoying the theatricality and like kind of being like getting into the technical stuff of it. Uh, and then, I mean, even I got suckered into the storytelling. Uh, you know, I was talking to Austin about how it's kind of this, this brilliant almost act of um, interactive theater, where where uh, I think, as I put it, like the audience enters into an agreement with the with with everybody involved there. That yeah, we all know this is this is all made up and whatever but but when you step into this you're you're in this world and you just got to accept the reality of it and and even i got sucked into it there's the big reason austin wanted to show me this episode was it has a huge twist where uh where mark henry of uh, I, I guess the very famous wrestler who's the strongest man in the world is coming out to announce a retirement uh, and is like mm-hmm. being all nice to john cena who's out there to rile up his fans uh and then when 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 all is said and done, and John Cena goes in for the hug. This dude just yeets him out of the ground. Oh yeah! And I was sitting there, like honestly, kind of. I was I was sitting there in kind of like this reverent silence, almost like mm-hmm. like I was like, dang. Even in this highly theatrical fake world, we're having this moment of like kind of sincere pathos out here with the audience. Yeah. And and, and everyone's kind of getting into it, and people have signs, and people are chanting his chant, and he's crying. And I was like, "Dang, this is a dude who's having like a legitimate moment. He's he's given up a big part of his life, and you can feel the pain." And then, nope, it's all part of the act. Fuck you! Get taken right back into it, and it's insane. Mm-hmm. No, that, that that's, this is this yeah. is wild, dude. Yeah, that was that was legitimately one of like if if you ask any wrestling fan like best moments of the last like ten years, like that's up there. Is the is the Mark Henry fake retirement? Oh because it's in everybody, like everybody, legitimately thought like this is a real retirement. He gives this; it feels like this real speech, and I, I would say it. He's is. literally like crying. Yeah, like I feel like like the I think the emotions of like what he's saying is real, but like the end goal is because because like, after he would try to go for the. Well, wait, is he not going to retire after he goes for that belt one more time? Um, yes and no, in the sense that, like, that's his last peak. He never, like, goes much higher than that ever. I don't think he ever gets that high ever again in terms of, like, but he still kind of hangs around for a few more years and does stuff. But, all right. But that was absolutely his peak of, like, 
he does this and gets one more championship match with Cena, which he doesn't win, of course. Okay. So, so, so I'm I'm assuming Cena was in on it. Yeah, of course. Like, see, like, uh, that, that, they planned out okay. that whole thing. The only people that weren't in on it was the audience. <laughs> like they. Okay. okay. I wasn't sure because like. No, see, like, that'd be crazy if it like if they if they played it so deep fake that not even Cena knew. <laughs> no, that that'd be sick. But no, see, that was all part of the plan. Is that Cena was gonna no. was gonna be there to be like the rah rah my fans, and then Henry was gonna come out and do that thing, and then Cena was just gonna choose to linger for a while, kind of like a dick. <laughs> and, yeah. and then Henry, see, I wouldn't even out. call it a dick. Like like it, it it felt almost like a passing of the torch. Like like yeah. it was gonna be like like from one megastar to another. Yeah, that's how they were playing it off. Is is kind of like a yeah. You know. But it's just funny, and, and, and they they, they kind of had Cena standing there in like this in like this almost awe of Henry. Like he see he seemed yeah. almost like almost like taken aback by the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm sad that Henry didn't really doesn't really get a big retirement speech again for his actual retirement. He just kind of like quietly retires. Which uh, I guess I get it because like just, it's never going to quite be the same one. <laughs> But but oh but that's so, the worst part is like in a way that's such that was like a perfect speech to go out on like mm-hmm. like the daddy's coming home thing at the end like oh man that got I was like I was like dang okay all right I, I can I can get down with this that's actually really sweet nope no no it's all it's all it's all, it's all the work I got suckered in yeah. I got I got suckered in by the toys and it does that to you wrestling oh, does that to you. Take it from experience. <laughs> it was. I'm legitimately impressed. Mm-hmm. I'm legitimately impressed that that this 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 episode. I'm so glad you picked this as the first episode because mm-hmm. this was like an insane mashup of all these like crazy different things. Yeah. Um. Um. So we got we got we got we got that. So obviously, yeah, I, a big I would, plot twist. But... I wouldn't have picked this episode if like, like, I like it's a great like the Mark Henry thing was a great moment <laughs> and would have been worth it just for that, but. I really felt like the whole the whole episode there was a lot going on and that's why I picked it in in the end. Yeah, no. Um I well even even at the beginning so there was there was the there was the Del Rio thing um mm-hmm. which which I got to say it was a really strong start to that episode. Like like it kind of like it was it was at that point like like we have we have Del Rio out there who's um monologuing to the audience about yeah. how he needs he wants the respect that he deserves. Yeah, um, it, was, it was kind of like know, early on. It was kind of like a definitive, like, yes, I'm a heel now. Like you get it, yeah. last, you get and, it, and, last and, night. like it starts last night from when he beats a man. He keeps kicking a man with a concussion in the head, <laughs> but they yeah. make sure to let the audience know at the start of this episode. Yes, he is a bad guy now. <laughs> yeah. And and so so kind of the kind of some of the big things from this I want to touch on from this whole thing aside from the Mark Henry thing because that's kind of its own little like thing to talk kind of covered but yeah. but so so like early on uh, me being me one of the comments I made to you was was like uh, again because I'm me the, mm-hmm. the first thing I'm like this is like Shakespeare this is like this is like Shakespeare in the park these long dramatic mm-hmm. powered powerful soliloquies that's like <laughs> um demanding demanding the respect from the audience and um or or we got um 
we got what's her face uh aj bringing it out on yep. stage um about what a little like what a little just scamp she is mm-hmm. um and 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 uh another thing i kind of remarked to austin was uh uh all these major players have their own little assistants and kind of like in the tradition of the Shakespearean page character, the little like intern that follows you around everywhere and yeah, yeah. kind of completes your one-liners and stuff like that. Yep. Especially uh, Vicky Guerrero, who's the, our general manager figure, who's who's the beleaguered yep. middle management who's stuck with like three bosses all telling her. Oh my God. Things. <laughs> the backstage, the backstage drama stuff was wild too, because like, because we have this like it's like the b this is like this is like its own version of like network tv where like we have the b plot of vicky just trying desperately to like prove that she's a competent executive um Mm -hmm. while 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 we got the kind of a plots going of of del rio and um and cm punk and um um uh daniel bryant and and kane Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, I am not the weak link. No, yeah. This, the their, I, I gotta say, their ability to kind of like juggle storylines like that and keep them all interesting and 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 use the backstage stuff to kind of interweave all of them. It's it's impressive. Yeah, uh, it, there's everything everything here, aside from aside from like the very beginning, um, and like the the random little like bookend matches of like the irish dude versus whatever and yeah, like that, the t- and jericho's match yeah those this kind of exists like, just kind of be like they're there almost like they didn't they don't yeah. have, they don't really not everything they're, they're the filler they're the filler. Yeah, they're filler they were absolutely filler but like but but the ones that actually have like story behind them they and i you know i don't know if i obviously it's like the first episode of ww i've ever seen so i don't know if this is a consistent trend you can tell me whether or not it is Mm -hmm. but like the the way they kind of have that like backstage framing device to tie all of the like actual story matches together it's impressive like um the like we had especially because like so so obviously like at the front end front back end we have uh we have the del rio and cm punk which is coming um but but even from the beginning they're hitting at the mark henry thing um, mm-hmm. And they keep talking about Stina's uh, three levels of hell match or three stages of hell. Um, mm-hmm. And then they're talking about uh, the, the Kane versus shield match, uh, the Kane's team versus shield match. Uh, and we got, we have the, we have the, the um, Daniel Bryan match uh, and interaction with Kane that ties into that. And then we have the, the Kane versus shield match. Um, and then we have, um, uh, Oh, Oh, what was the other thing? Um, Oh, uh, it was Kane. It was it was it was the Shield thing, and that that tied back into the Vicky thing. Um, but oh, there was one more. Um, oh, 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 the um, the the Father's Day thing. Oh um, yeah, Curtis the, Axel. the yeah the Curtis Axel, um, which gets talked about early on. Um, mm-hmm. It's all kind of this fascinating like there's there's a holisticness to it this surprising yeah. like everything gets accounted for things are set up there's there's foreshadowing there's planning and payoff yeah um, um it's impressive yeah it's it's one of those things that like can be done that WWE can do really well it's not obviously it's not consistent and here's the thing i'm going to say about that is that like <clears throat> it's hard to do good wrestling every time like 
obviously that would make sense to say, but like, if you think about it of like, they have to write three hours of raw now, plus two hours of SmackDown. That's five hours of television every single week. No breaks. WWE does shows on holidays. I've been to a Monday night raw that took place on the 4th of July. (laughs) Like they don't take breaks for anything at most. They might, if, if a show, if a show lands on like Christmas, they might pre-tape the show, but it will still air on Christmas. They don't get a week off ever. Jesus. So that's so many hours of TV. Oh, pretty much only um, like soap operas and news shows are pretty much the only other things that write that many hours of TV in a week. <laughs> here. So you know, it's not always going to work and it's not always going to be consistently good. But like, yeah, that's like some of the, like the ability to kind of have to create a universe in this, in yourself and tie everything back together when it go when it works really well, like it does, like, yeah, it, they cover their bases. Like it, when it works really well, like it did on the show. And that's why a lot of why I picked it, it works. It's amazing. Yeah, that was, it's, it's, it, it kind of is an impressive feat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and the, the cool thing too, is like all these other little like disparate threads that I'm sure are are things from earlier uh from earlier context and that then that get paid off later stuff like the uh um like the they keep showing the ads for the for the uh the swamp cult guys yeah that's a a, uh they keep um, hype videos to like he's going to debut soon and he does he's he debuts within about a month or so of like this episode Okay. So they're like hyping him up, being like, "Hey, that, there's this guy coming that coming soon." Oh, okay. So wait, uh, the random question, kind of derailing what we're talking about, just out of, just as a curiosity, what was like the turnaround between him going from that persona to being the the uh, abomination or uh, the fiend? Um, the fiend debuted about a year ago today. Oh dang! Yes. So he had a short. That was a short run as the as the swamp cultist. Uh, short or long, depending. Like it was, it he got a lot of mileage out of it more than you might think. In this, because he, I'll, I'm gonna go ahead and talk about uh, Bray Wyatt as his career is basically one of his big problems as a character would turn out to be is that he would talk an incredible game. It's it's absolute. I I feel I've always said that like it feels like Bray Wyatt could be like a B movie actor if he wanted to be but he doesn't, he wants to be a wrestler, Yeah. but like, he's really good uh. crafting these like bizarre out there kind of characters and making them work and making them interesting between the swamp cultists. And then like when he's doing the fiend, which is of, which is of course an evil yeah. semi demon man who like show who's like, has a split personality between that and being like daylight, oh. daylight as a, as a, as, As some weird like host. children's show with puppets, but it's all part of his weird psychosis. And so, <laughs> but that's always been the thing that keeps Bray Wyatt afloat is he has an ability to like get you, get held you in the palm of his hands. But the problem is they never like let him win a lot. Like he'll, he'll constantly have well, the match have these big matches where he talks this big game and then he just loses and then okay that's that moving on now <laughs> without a whole lot of like characters that seems, that seems like a bizarre thing to that seems like a bizarre thing to do to a to a wrestler like that like if you got some if you have someone like that who's so good at like playing the audience even on these ridiculous premises why do you schedule him to lose all the time i don't know if i understood that <laughs> 
I wish I could understand why, but I spent six years, six years of watching him play that character in some form or another and having to see that happen, play out. And it's just like, and I, I don't know if we'll, if we'll watch, if we'll like, um, I don't know if we'll cover it or not because it's all time great show. It's also like, it's like four hours. Is that, Kind of like the peak problem, the Bray Wyatt problem, comes with uh, WrestleMania 30, which is about um, about six months, seven months after the show, uh, about ten months actually. I'm gonna time that out. He has a feud with John Cena, and he's like his whole thing is he's hell, he's determined to prove that John Cena isn't the nice guy he portrays himself as. That it's all a mirage, and that like if push came to shove, Cena would be a monster just like he is, and it leads and it kind of leads to culminates at WrestleMania where he's he, him and Cena are having a, having a fight. It's, it's a tough Cena can't put him away. And Bray Wyatt brings a chair into the ring and he gets down on his hands and knees and is like, hit me, John. He hands Cena the chair and begs John Cena to hit him with the chair, prove that he's the monster that Bray Wyatt claims he is. And Cena doesn't do it. He he just he resists the dark temptation to Bray Wyatt. And that's it. <laughs> Goodbye, and that's it. The end. <laughs> so 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 WWE does the killing joke, except with no payoff. Yeah, a little bit. Now that you put it like that, and then they they feud for two more months, but it really. I mean, I guess it's wheels. I mean, I guess it's a similar payoff because, like, in the end, Jim Gordon doesn't go crazy either. But like, mm-hmm. the, what? <laughs> and we never address. Ah, that's bizarre. No, see, I never. See, like the the thing that the thing that I find really fun. Sorry, go ahead. Uh no, I was just gonna say that. Yeah, like it. It doesn't really affect John in any way. That's that's kind of like. I'd even be like, okay, I'd have been like, okay, if he did, if it, if he, in that, if he said like, no, I will not turn to the dark side, but then it doesn't mean anything to John that this happened. <laughs> we just kind of move oh, on. God, there's like too no, much. like there's God. And then, and it's like, See, imagine that. That's really funny about a character. <laughs> and that's Bray Wyatt's career. <laughs> as a that's so sad. Well, because the crazy thing is, like, like what I what I think about, and, and this is completely off topic from the episode we just watched. But like, yeah, no. when I when I what what I find crazy about a character like a character like the Fiend and the fact that they work is for the for the WWE um, role playing game. You know, I'm watching the the No Rules Barred episodes on it, and I'm mm-hmm. coming up with my own character ideas. And I'm kind of thinking, like, man, these are some insanely outlandish characters that, you know, that I'm coming up with, and they could never work in, like, a real setting. Like, that's the Mm -hmm. point of this game, is that, like, you can go all out. There's no, like, there's no sort of realism you have to adhere to, to, Mm -hmm. like, keep an audience's disbelief suspended. Um, But characters like that can still work. Um, and, and And I'm kind of trying to wrap my head around why. Um... And I honestly think, like, maybe, maybe this is forced, but I honestly think something like the um, something like the Mark Henry thing can kind of be an indicator of where that starts. Because, mm-hmm. um, like, 
obviously there's a world of difference between like between a heel that plays a dirty trick on John Cena and like a guy whose whole shtick is being like a demon, um, reality like monster. Yeah. But but if an audience is able to like basically, despite the fact that like these the the people who are going to WrestleMania for the most part or going to Monday Night Raw or any of these any of these live mm-hmm. shows, they obviously know like what they're in for. They know, yeah. um they know that this is a this is a show all about like showing these crazy characters and um playing all these dumb kind of skits and soap opera level drama mm-hmm. uh that all ends with people punching each other um there are moments where it tricks you into like actually believing in it and thinking that this time this time maybe they're being legit um mm-hmm. And if they're able to do that on kind of like a more mundane level, um, I guess I can kind of see where ultimately um, a character like The Fiend works. And, and and also on that level, watching John Cena kind of deliver his speech, um, it, it kind of gave me this interesting like idea of like it seemed interesting that the sort of demographic that that WWE like does its best to appeal to is so willing to buy into something that's so obviously fake like mm-hmm. they like these people seem like the very kind of like they want legit macho no bullshit uh just just shut up and fight each other already but they but they're into it they're super into it and i was kind of really i was kind of thinking about why like how does that work and then i watched john cena's speech and i almost wonder if there's a certain sense of of like oh that this isn't real they know that like mm-hmm. the the road scholars and del rio don't like actually have contempt for them mm-hmm. uh and that they know they're playing characters and they are, they aren't actually like that in real life um they sort of stand for these ideals that that can get to you um whether it be whether it be like del rio being all prissy and um, and disrespectful to Murica or the Rhodes Scholars <laughs> yeah. being just general dicks or, or, uh, you know, holier than that. Like, like I talked to you about how the, the kind of heel holier than thou aspect, uh, is kind of a recurring theme, or we have Cena giving this very kind of heartfelt, like man of the people sort of speech, um, that, that even I was kind of being like, Oh, that's cute. That's yeah. sweet. Like, like even if they're, even if it's all fake, they kind of stand for these ideals, these philosophies that people can really buy into, and they're simple philosophies and they're accessible philosophies, uh, and they're things that can that can resonate with an audience. And and if that works for for John Cena and for Del Rio, and I guess CM Punk wasn't really playing with a lot of pathos, but you know that kind of general like that kind of general back and forth. Yeah, this, this was um, really a pathos episode. Sure, it can. He has episodes that are more about like him and you can kind of see more of that. You actually, it's actually awesome how much you're like getting it after you've watched like two hours of wrestling. (laughs) Cause like you're kind of hitting it right off. Because, because I was, yeah. Well, well, because, because I was like, I was thinking about this cause, cause that, that, that's the ultimate disconnect that I've been wondering about this whole time is why are people, why, why are the people who like wrestling able to buy into all the theatricality because like i i i i think back to that south park episode that they did on wwe where it transforms to like shakespeare in the park and all the rednecks are there like sobbing while while like sipping on like 
expensive ass bottles of red wine. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and and there and it's and it's all like uh it's all uh there and and then the the wrestling the wrestling teacher comes in and and the crowd hates him despite the fact that he's the macho no bullshit guy until mm. he's able to resonate with the audience with god damn it they took my job <laughs> and and i i love that episode because 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 like as kind of like a hoity-toity theater person i've always kind of gotten a kick out of this idea of like we're not so different after all are we yeah. you know um but then i watch this and i it clicks like that's not entirely an exaggeration mm-hmm. these they kind of stand for these ideas and if that works for 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 some of these more normie kind of heels and and faces sure why can't it work for a dude who's who who plays a split person and who's trying to like whose whole point is trying to bring out the monstrosity in others i mm-hmm. i can understand ultimately why it works as long as you have something that resonates with an audience it doesn't have to be realistic uh and that's kind of what's really fun about this oh yeah um now 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 i've 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 given my little screed of praising the deep philosophical implications of wwe um so i gotta vary the mood a little bit (laughs) and talk about the problematic shit (laughs) i feel like in many ways i'm glad that they were here too and i i i made jokes while we were watching about the reaction but at the same time it's actually kind of perfect because you t- we talk about things like the Mark Henry thing or like Del Rio and, and Cena and even, even kind of the punk stuff. Is it kind of like almost like how wrestling can be really good? The real Americans at the very, can get to a lot of what can be bad about wrestling or at the very least iffy. <laughs> because yeah, um, for people who don't know who are just, wa- I don't know why you'd be watching this without really knowing what we're talking about. <laughs> But, you know, the real Americans as uh, is a gimmick of you have Jack Swagger, who's just some just an Amer all American. He wasn't on the show, but he's basically like if you imagine a dude who's like six foot five and he's a jock that he's going to look like that. And then you have Zeb Coulter, who's the older dude with his goofy ass facial hair. And then they join up with Antonio Cesaro. <laughs> and their whole shtick is about literally like this pro-America. Like, fuck the immigrants. Kind of like, they're taking our jobs. They're, they're sneaking across <laughs> the border. He does the thing. <laughs> and... They playing gerbs <laughs> and they have the don't tread on me flag and they're and they're putting their hands to their chest yelling <laughs> we the people because you constitution oh, excuse me and uh, like they're playing at racial tensions for like heel heat but also then people kind of get into it because they're because at the very least, Cesaro is very good as a wrestler, and Zeb Coulter is entertaining as a talker. Plus, the people like chanting things, and they like chanting, we the <laughs> Not at this point in time for this show, but it will. It will. It's relatively new gimmick for them right now. It's they, they, they only February of 2013 is about when that first debuted, when they did that. And so, like, people haven't yet caught on to how fun it is to chant We the People, but they will. <laughs> and it just kind of makes it even extra uncomfortable overall. 
I will I will give them credit for making them heels, but that being said, that seems kind of counterintuitive to what they know their demographic is. Like, I don't think that that a lot of those people in those audience are like secretly progressive or anything on on like mm-hmm. on immigration policy. Um, <laughs> um, uh, uh. But, like it's it, it seems kind of interesting. Like 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 why why are they heels? Why like that that seems like counterintuitive for what they're trying to pray to the audience. Um, I don't know if I could actually tell you it's, it's very, I will say it is a little weird to think about them as kind of like, when you think about it, they're like, as this kind of heel character, this very, um, very, very conservative, um, uh, uh, ideology being pray, portrayed as a heel, considering Vince McMahon is an, a, a known Republican. He's uh, close friends with uh, our current president, and like his wife is a fucking <laughs> wow, wow! What a shock! His wife had a fucking was the head of the small business um, cabinet position, whatever the fuck that is. Um, I don't know what it's called. And like now she runs a Trump super PAC. So like she left that job to go run a super PAC. So like they're Republicans, and that co- and that usually more often than it doesn't actually comes out if we watch. Um, if we watch some older wrestling shows, I guarantee we'll see some lovely ethnic stereotypes. If we go back deep enough oh, in yeah. our archives here, this by 2013, they have mostly phased that out because they understand that they're, that the audience doesn't appre- that at least some of their audience, a large enough portion of their audience doesn't appreciate it. But, and, and, and probably they, and they probably have a larger, like they probably do have a larger demographic of like, mm-hmm. you know, audience members of color that watch them yeah it's 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 more it's more it's a more uh um culturally sensitive audience than it used to be um they like I, we didn't see it on this episode because he wasn't re- wrestling at the time but you know if you look at old school a uh, character named Goldust, who um he was initially called that because he dressed in all gold and black and he was supposed to be like a take on like an Oscar statue and he's supposed to be kind of a movie buff. But then pretty quickly they kind of hmm. shift gears. They put him in a blonde wig and they start playing toward the idea that he's a homosexual and a very aggressive one. And they're, uh, and they're obviously playing on gay panic for heel heat. Like he is a heel and it's because, and his whole gimmick is basically he's an aggressive gay man. And to the point where that when they want to turn him babyface, they have they they very explicitly talk about how he has a wife and kids. Like that's his babyface turn is talking about how much of how he has a wife and kids. And they literally someone calls him this F slur on on air. Or like like Jerry Lawler, in fact, he's on the show that is a face commentator, but at the time he was a heel. And he's like, Well, you're you're one of those, aren't you? And he's like, what are, what, what am I? And he's like, well, you're a, I'm not going to say it. <laughs> right. And he, no, I'm not. <laughs> so yeah, it's the nineties, man. Mm. <clears throat> so, oh, God. and the racial and the, like the racial stereotypes, I could go on, I could go forever on that one, but like, yeah, it's, it's a different, oh, you, you, you've taught, you've, you've told me, Mm-hmm. You you told me a decent amount about how like WWE in the past has kind of distastefully played on racial tensions before. They have, and this is kind of more of that. But we're but it is weird to think when I think about it. Is like they're. I mean, I'm glad that they're heels. They should be. But it's it's almost kind of weird that this is the gimmick they chose to play. 
Is the in the I, Americans? It, I, 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 the, the thing that I find really fascinating about that too is we have a similar juxtaposition of that with CM Punk versus Del Rio, um, where there's kind of like this air of of Del Rio being like like fuck America and and CM Punk, even though he doesn't like expo- he doesn't really um, uh, opine about about like oh beautiful for spacious skies you know when he goes out there with his match at the end he's in red white and blue spandex with the stars and stripes um and so so they so there's clearly still a bent there of like of like how dare you dislike our great country and i kind of i'm kind of wondering like is it just is it be is it like is is, was because May like our modern political di- and God. Of course, we're talking. About, of course, we manage to talk, just talk about politics while talking yeah, about WWE. Yeah. Um, oh God! It, welcome to welcome welcome to David and Austin. Yeah, this is, to this David is, Austin. if you're not ready for it, terribly sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. This is this. Is, <laughs> welcome to David and Austin. Just talk about anything. It always gets back to politics. Um, I almost have to wonder because, like, because, like, you think because, like. I think of how the modern political discourse has transformed so much in the past four years. You know, that was like, that was, this was 2013. So like uh, for a year into Obama's second term, like I wonder if they're able to get away with, with, you know, the very aggressive jingoists being, um, um, uh, as, as like, as aggressive about it as they are and, and coming off as heels because it was like, was it a gentler time? And was the audience a little more willing to be like, eh, that's like, like we love Merck and we don't want our, the immigrants taking our jobs, but like, that's a little mean. Like mm-hmm. I when, mean, when, when you also, when you still have the subtle, the more subtle coding of like, of Del Rio being like, America is about pigs and Cowards. And also, um, I don't know if you noticed this. Um, well, watch, but he, um, El Rio explicitly baits the crowd into chanting USA at him. And you saw it a few oh, times. No, I know. Yeah. But you see it a few times during the promos from both uh, heels and baby faces. For example, um, when Cena talks about, he yells at this guy. Oh, I hate to derail from what we're talking, this political talk. I just want to point this out is like when Cena's talking to this guy, talks about, he's trying to get at the idea of the audience doesn't part of the audience doesn't like him. He points over at this one guy and he's like, he's telling me mm-hmm. Cena sucks. And, the cr- part of the crowd starts chanting Cena sucks. And you, and you see wrestling promos do that all the time is you bait the audience. You kind of like mm. lead the audience into chanting a certain way, but namely by referencing a chant that they're going to do that they do. And Del Rio did it by being, by saying you, you people chant at me, USA, USA. And then the audience proceeds to do it. <laughs> Yeah, no, I noticed that, and that was, and I was like, okay, I, I kind of see, I kind of see you, um, but it's, it, I don't know, it's just kind of this interesting, this interesting look at how they, how they kind of play off of the current current state of the world, and it took some turns that I wouldn't have expected. Again, the hardcore America boys being heels today seems like a bizarre thing for WWE to pull, but I mean maybe it was enough of a different time back in 2013 to that, that like maybe the audience was a little bit softer on that stuff. I don't know. I mean, I think you, um, make, you actually make a good point. Cause now that, that I, I was thinking about it, is that like you look at post 2016, 
I actually can't really think of any major like outright political angles that WWE has done. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, Which, there's still ooh. a little. There's always still a little bit of the like, you're an you're an evil and you're evil and you're not from America, so I'm gonna boo you. But that almost exists regardless of any sort of lot political lines outside of the world outside what's going on in the outside world. Yeah. But like, but like something like the real Americans has not happened since 2016. And the closest we ever came, the clo- I think the closest we came to it, the long political angle is that like during the 2016 before the election, um, there was a character uh, named Darren Young who was just kind of like, um, kind of stra- and he, he, he got a manager in Bob Backlund, who you don't know who that is, but Bob Backlund is like one of the old timey wrestling legends. And he was a WWF champion in like the late mm. 70s, early 80s, like before Hulk Hogan. And he's running around in span like his old timey like span. He's like got like suspenders and a and a high waist belt. And he's yelling that we're gonna make Darren Young great again. Like that is the shtick, and it doesn't really have any other political meaning behind it. It's just he just they just took co op the phrase make blank great again for this. That gets dropped before Which Trump gets It's absolutely bizarre to look at, look back that like they did this whole bit where for see for with no other otherwise political commentary, they just have a bit where somebody is gonna make somebody great again. <laughs> but there's no larger political that that kind of that kind of surprised me in its own right that 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 it goes apolitical because and and again maybe this uh, again this probably comes from me being a newbie and just kind of going off kind of the information i've synthesized from what you've given me it Mm -hmm. seems to me like like vince mcmahon's enough of a shithead that 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 seems like something he would want to play into a lot because he knows i feel like a he knows he can get a away with that with his with with a majority of his demographic and b it seems like he's just kind of an asshole who would enjoy getting to rile up fans on those uh um on those premises mm-hmm. um i would are i would think that I, I think that vince mcmahon has at least some understand like i don't know uh as some understanding of what would and wouldn't fly and so, but I mean, he has, he, his political bent exists in a, even in ways that aren't necessarily as obvious. For example, um, during the Bill Clinton oh, yeah. years and the Obama years, um, they both, both during those years, they would do, uh, they did skits where they did a presidential impersonator show up and they do like dumb skits with the, with the president. <laughs> And it's like, I'll note, I would note that you never did this when Reagan or the Bushes were in office. Like this wasn't a gimmick that you ever did when they were president. And obviously you, they did uh, 37 billion Bill Clinton jokes when uh, that was relevant. Yeah. And uh, I guess one time when uh, Donald Trump and Rosie O'Donnell were during doing their, um, their most public feud in the mid two thousands, they did a match on raw between Donald Trump and Rosie O'Donnell, which was two at which was two legitimate wrestlers in costumes, and with Rosie with Donald Trump, he got a regular entrance, and with Rosie O'Donnell, they played the fucking trumpet. They did like the two the fat guy tuba thing joke from like the oh Simpsons. god family guy. 
Like they did that. Yeah, I mean, that was Rosie O'Donnell's entrance music, and they made jokes about how fat she is during the match. But it does it, it does kind of crack me up though, because because like for a show for his for something that's as like performative and thrives on like you know riled up audience interaction as WWE, it's one of the sports that in a way has yeah you know, at least in terms of like mainstream partisan politics has kind of stayed the most like. Uh, apolitical at least publicly like you don't have like um you don't have like the the colin kaepernick stuff of the nfl um or anything like that. it the fact that it kind of exists with its own little within its own little world kind of keeps it away and, and obviously they have their own politics things they deal with because in real life like they're yeah. doing with all their union stuff how horribly they treat their workers constantly and they, yeah. they have their own version of politics right, right. with wwe that's but, absolutely backloaded with horrible shit but, but the, the kind of like they keep the content more um, apolitical than you might imagine they would, yeah. Yeah, which is which is kind of it's kind of interesting, kind of impressive in its own way. Like the the the, the kind of restraint. It, it, obviously, there's not much to say because they're still they're still showing their stripes in their own ways. But like, mm -hmm. there's a certain level of restraint there that you wouldn't expect for for what WWE tends to get characterized as, which I think is really interesting. Yeah. Um, Again, even even kind of both sizing it with you have the Murica boys, but they're heels, you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating. It's a fascinating world, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, and and there's still all the yeah. stuff with the gender politics too of the divas and God. Yes, because I did warn you about that. You know, the divas is a if is an iffy yeah. time, and boy was it. Yeah. And I would, I'll be straight with you. I mean, you. I'm this more, more. This is more. This this was on the bit of the higher end. Like the AJ Caitlin feud was kind of a higher end divas feud. It was, it was well remembered as I, like this isn't as shitty as usual. <laughs> so, I can I can kind of see that. Like like a lot of my yikes and your yikes comes from the fact that we're more like in tune with more specific discourse on like on how on things like how women get portrayed in media and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. Um, so I can kind of see why this one can be fondly remembered if you're not as like up on that. Yeah. Honestly, it's hard to look back on and watch because like at the time it was, it was great. Cause it felt like better. It feels like a real improvement over what I've seen before, but now in WWE, not to say that it's a hundred percent better a hundred percent, like great now, but it's a lot better in terms of like treating the women's wrestlers as like, equal in terms of their ability to be good performers and good athletes. And like, not every story is this catty bullshit. It's kind of hard to even mm -hmm. go back to a time when it very much was most, a lot of catty bullshit. <laughs> oh God. I will say there, the, what you were saying about how it gets better in a year, the fact that 2014 is when they start to get better about like the women in the in the company. That is that is kind of impressive that mm -hmm. like they got progressive on that kind of before Me Too was a huge thing and before like like, like obviously there were there were other like big mainstream public feminist movements, but like the fact that WWE hopped on that on getting better about that in 2014, eh, mm -hmm. yeah, was, that that's that for them. Uh, impressively proactive it is they they don't always get proactive and i th i think that like it was the u.s women's soccer team kind of blew up that year and, and absolutely ronda rousey too was big for 
uh, getting WWE to treat take oh, it yeah. seriously. But I will say that also uh, I mentioned why well, reason I mentioned 2014 is that um, I'm going to do a little more explanation of WWE's arc power, like structure now is that like, so in 2013, where we're at now is uh, there's a little show on right now. that's called NXT. Uh, I don't really talk about it because right now it's pretty much a Hulu exclusive and it's basically their developmental. It's mm. their minor league, but, what they're doing right now in NXT is that they get their, they're kind of pumping money into this, but they want to have their own like train. They want to have their own real dedicated training facilities and kind of development program in a way, in a way that's more comprehensive than they've ever had before. And so they're bringing in women's wrestlers who were, who were very accomplished women on the Indies as trainers. And so suddenly you're not just, Plicking women off the street and training them to like, you know, be able to throw a few punches and pull some hair. You're training them to like be real wrestlers, wrestle like you're wrestle like they let the men wrestle. And what and that pays Mm -hmm. dividends starting now in 2013 by 2014, and especially as NXT starts gaining a higher prominence because um, in 2014, WWE creates its own streaming service, the WWE Network, which is what we were watching on. They would be like, we need new, we need yeah. weekly content for that show. What if we put NXT there? And so that uh, gives NXT a much bigger platform. And in that, and at the same time, the women of NXT, they they start showing out in matches. They're putting on better matches than if for women than has ever been seen in the company. And it eventually kind of just continues. Now the developmental suddenly the fans are also on board of like, wait women's wrestling can be this good. Why is it not this good on raw and SmackDown? And then by 2015, you see in big effects on the main roster. And then 2016, they retire the divas belt. Officially, they bring back the women's championship and they are no longer divas. They are superstars just like the men. So 2014 is kind of a really cool. I know. And it was cool to be there in that time, watching it happen kind of live. Because I remember oh, watching, you know, I'm watching, awesome. I'm watching like women's matches on Hulu and YouTube from WWE just being like on NXT. And I'm like, man, they could they, they have the talent to do this like on Raw and SmackDown. And I'm like, I really wish they would be like this. And then within a couple of years, suddenly that's what it's like. Oh, my God. So I think kind of the big takeaway I've gotten from this first whole thing is that WWE and and the world of wrestling as a whole is a seemingly mm-hmm. um um thorough interconnected web of of backstage politics on screen um on screen happenings and kind of overall um interaction with the world around it that mm-hmm. leads it to be this constantly evolving, constantly changing sort of sport in a way that other mainstream sports aren't. Um, mm-hmm. It's it it's it's like it's like this weird. I don't even know like how to describe it other than it's it's its own little pocket of the world. Um, it seems mm-hmm. like just this fascinating um, interlocking mechanism of of all of these different like all these different intersecting things. I, mm-hmm. This is far from the most eloquent way to put it, but but 
I mean, I feel like it's kind of a perfect takeaway for the first episode of this is a very dense world. This is a world that that operates on its own rules, its mm -hmm. own logic, yeah, it, its own way of doing it's, things. It's this weird pocket of the world where, like, everything is solved by violence. Any dispute. Yeah. yeah. You, you, answer, you get in the ring with a guy and, and punch it out. No matter what this is, we will probably never cover it, but like as the most weird extreme example of this, they did a story in 2005 where Rey Mysterio was his, the parent, he, Rey Mysterio's kid's son, Dominic, this guy named Eddie Guerrero was like, Rey Mysterio is not your father. I'm your father. And Rey Mysterio and Eddie Guerrero have a mat, have a ladder match with the legal, um, um, I can't think of the word, but basically the winner of the match, the winner of the match would be considered the legal father of Dominic. And it's like, we're not going to settle this in court or anything. Oh, uh, we're going to um, settle this in a match. Guardianship. Guardianship of, of Dominic. Oh my God. Dominic. It's like, no, nope, we're going to settle this in a, in a ring. <laughs> you know, this, everything is settled in a fight. And well, so 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 it's it's this very interesting thing of like there's the front facing side of WWE where it's all this gigantic show, um, and it's all very dramatic and it's all very ostentatious and it's all very flashy, mm -hmm. um, and then there's the there's the back side of it, um, that is filled to the brim with these bizarre, um, interweaving sets of politics that are almost as fascinating is what's going on on stage and and um the i guess the kind of thing i'm really trying to articulate here is it's like it's every little aspect of this is its own rabbit hole every single little that like i wanted to like that like i kind of picked up on during the the episode mm -hmm. tonight i could tell each little thing had its own years deep rabbit it hold to go down to explain how we got there and what the impact the current thing will have on the future or you know for 2015 yeah. future mm -hmm. of wwe um um it, it's so interesting that everything nothing in this world is standalone nothing nothing mm -hmm. in this uh in this kind of pocket of the pocket of the universe is just able to stand on its own everything is interwoven uh and i think that's deeply fascinating um mm -hmm. and i am just like, very excited to to explore more of these pockets and go down more of these rabbit holes uh, as we can oh, yeah and there's uh, there's so many rabbit, there's so many rabbit holes to go down because you have you know God, i know you look at um and they all have their own different ways of kind of 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 treating the world is you know and wwe is, mm -hmm. is this um they WWE go, has this flash and pomp and circumstance to it by def, by design, and then you have other wrestling companies that don't necessarily have the same, don't look at it necessarily the same way. Uh, for example, um, All Elite Wrestling is is it has the same potential for soap opera nonsense, and in its best, it still does, but it also has a lot more to do in the ring, like that being a story avenue of its own right, as opposed to like the 20 minute monologues that we saw that like, they don't do that in AEW. They, they have promos and stuff, but it's not the same thing. And then new Japan pro wrestling is its own bizarre take on it with Japanese pro wrestling. It, like it, it treats it like a sport. Like everyone has a team. 
everyone is fighting other teams. Yep. You there are seventy billion tournaments a year, and that's basically how you get a championship. You have advanced your career is you do well in tournaments. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it uh, it's, Lucha, it's, Un- it's, Lucha Underground is goes the complete other direction from what I've been talking about in the last two places, where suddenly it is an over the drama, over the top telenovela where you have a dead guy, zombies and ninja skeletons and a Phoenix and a dragon incarnated as a man. And somewhere along the way, you also have these douchebag frat guys who play air guitar (laughs) and it's all the same world of nonsense. Lucha Underground always reads like Power Rangers to me. No, it is absurd. Like, they lean into the absurdity of both, like, soap opera, telenovela, plus, like, they take the, they, they look at, like, in, like, in, in Lucha Libre, everyone, like, most people have these really colorful masks and the masks tell such a story. And so they're like, okay, so we're just going to create this insane world, unlike you've anything you've ever seen. And we're going to film it like... Sci-fi fantasy action show. Yeah. And we're going to film it like a real television show as opposed to how a wrestling show is traditionally filmed, which is more of what you saw tonight. And and even then, even then... All, all those different ways of of portraying wrestling commercially mm-hmm. are like the reasons for doing it that though each individual way are themselves their own rabbit holes. This thing mm-hmm. never ends, and it's all interconnected. This is wild, and it's kind of overwhelming, but it's super it cool. is. Uh, I have the worst uh, FOMO about wrestling because there's so much of wrestling. I just want to know more. Like I already watch so many hours a week just from keeping up with like regular stuff. But then I'm like, dude, what about like the history of women's wrestling on the indie scene? Like that's like that's I want to watch. I want to see that development, and I want to see this stuff from like the 80s, from how they they got developed to now, and I want to watch. Like these indies, like this in impact wrestling, as I watch casually, but there's like 15 years of that history, and I just want to know all of the history. And it's like, I can't. <laughs> oh boy. Oh man. I swear to God, if you get me addicted to this stuff, I'm never letting you live it down. Jesus Christ. Why? <laughs> Finally, after so long. Oh God. But even though I'm the one who's been pushing you to do this podcast the whole time. Yeah. And, um,. <laughs> I, I I don't I, I've, I've not been able to come up with a good time to bring it up, but I guess this is a good enough time. It's talking about like YouTube video, YouTube rabbit, not even rabbit hole. There's not very many good videos I think for like an intro to wrestling and kind of getting what it's about. There used to be one, but mm. uh, I'm not pocking that one anymore uh, because it was done by Max Landis. Uh, but it was called Wrestling Isn't Wrestling, and he kind of does a like freestyle-esque like ex detailed history of like triple h over a 20-year career over his 20-year career and how that character grows and changes and is like how wrestling is capable of telling those kind of stories and it's awesome but max landis is a creep so it's like fuck no oh max landis no damn it yeah i know that name so now i gotta like hawk super patch wolf which is his videos are really good too Oh god! Well, that's unfortunate. Um, also, I'm resolving right. 
Go no, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, as I was talking, is like his second video about the Undertaker and the and the streak. He he kind of touches on the same issue of like he talks about like how the Undertaker is a twenty year story that like people have followed his entire career. Like they've been watching wrestling since mm-hmm. Undertaker came in, and they had to watch um, a bit of a spoiler for this whole storyline. But like the Undertaker's shtick for the long, for like the tail end of his career was the fact that his his normal stick is that he's like an an immortal dead guy. <gasps> and also he came in as like a <laughs> zombie mortician dude, and he kind of just developed into being a guy who isn't a zombie, but he has like kind of has powers and likes to fuck with people with his legend with his gimmick but he has other thing is that at wrestlemania yeah. which is wwe's biggest show of the year um undertaker mm-hmm. had never been beaten like for 24 20 years of his career 20 men had tried but no one had ever beaten him on the biggest and the biggest show of wwe's of the wwe um year and it became like a thing by the end of people being like, I'm going to be the one that breaks the streak. And so, but if, and eventually uh, he, he does lose to Brock Lesnar in 2014. And like he talks and super eye patch wolf talks about how like the story of the undertaker streak is one that has lasted for 23 years. And there are people who have followed that story for 23 years. Damn. Oh, that's wild. I only followed it for three, and it was white, and it was, and I was in shock. I remember it's one of the that, few things in wrestling I remember my exact reaction to. Like I remember where I was, what I was, what I was, how I was watching. I remember because uh, my freshman year, my roommates they hated pro wrestling. They thought it was stupid, and they would frequently be like, "Why do you watch this? Why don't you watch like MMA or something? Or like this acting is so fake and dumb. Why do you watch this?" And so. It was a ten- it was a tense time, and so WrestleMania <laughs> night, I'm sitting. I'm, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm trying to I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine I'm trying to imagine um, Jonathan coming by and telling you that you should watch MMA instead of WWE. <laughs> Yeah, no, Jonathan was cool with it. He he was like like he didn't get it, but he was like, oh cool. Yeah. See, that doesn't surprise me. He's a, he, He's a sweetheart. The only the worst part is the time. Uh, wa- worst part is the time when he walked in, where he heard somebody say, "I wish you died in the womb," <laughs> which I don't want to give the context for that because I'm telling another story. But he walked into that uh, when someone said that, and I'm like, "God damn it!" Anyway, so like I'm sitting, so like WrestleMania night. Like my roommates obviously don't give a shit about this. So I'm on my laptop just watching them with my headphones in and like having to be super quiet. I can't like, I'm not making a sound. I'm just watching and like reacting to the Mm -hmm. show. And so I remember exactly my thoughts as I'm watching the match, Brock Lesnar versus the undertaker. And so Brock Lesnar, he gets undertaker up and hits him with the F five. That's a signature move, but that's the third time he did that in the match. And I'm like, and my, my thought is like, Really? Three F5s? The Undertaker's going to kick out of three F5s? That seems a little excessive. And Brock Lesnar pins him. I just, I'm thinking, one, two, three? <laughs> like, th- what? <laughs> like, I was in oh my God. silence that this, that this had happened. And, like, wrestling can be like that. It can, like, oh, get you so em- cool, emotionally bring you in and, and, like, make you feel things. I hate it. <laughs> 
I'm gonna end up. I'm gonna end up ranting about Hangman Adam Page at some point. Um, the social, <laughs> the socially anxious, uh, perpetually depressed, hates drinks to forget his own pain, cowboy, millennial cowboy. <laughs> Who I'm just like, oh, oh Hangman. Uh, yeah, that's a can of worms for another day. Yeah, it is. Oh uh, no, we're an hour deep here. Um, but but but, I um. I I will say I I do want to resolve that you you mentioned that four hour show um um uh, I I'm resolving right now that at some point we'll, we'll do a special or come I'll come down and visit you for a weekend and we'll do like the four hour show and maybe a whole bunch of other shit um and 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 give a whole do a whole special episode yes I, because like I'm resolving that right now we'll make that yeah. happen at some point. Because like rest, the problem with WWE pay per view with WrestleMania in particular is that like that's their biggest show of the year, so like a lot of big shit happens on those shows. But they understand yeah. that, and you un- and you understand that, so they're like, "Fuck it, this show's going to be like four hours or five hours." Sometimes, thankfully, they're yeah. starting to cut down on that. So, but it's like, so it's like it's not conducive to like this kind of watching, even though it's like these are like there's so many moments I'd want you to see from just WrestleMania, but then it's like it's not really like a good, it's not really like convenient to be able to do that because of how long the show WrestleMania, are. but then yeah. it's like it's not really like. A good, it's not really like convenient to be able to do that because of how long the shows are. Yeah. Yeah. No. Don't worry. Well, I'll I'll come I'll come down for a weekend at some point. And we'll and we'll and we'll do that. Plus, it's so much more fun to to, to riff with the riff about this stuff with you in person. I mean, come on. Yeah. I know. Um, outstanding. All right. I think that's a nice little uh, bow to wrap this thing up in. Yeah. No. This has been a blast. Um. This has been a hell of a four hours. This is awesome, evening. dude. This has been my favorite evening in like weeks like this has been amazing oh buddy no just getting to getting to hang oh this, no i had a good time yeah getting to like share uh one of, one of my biggest passions with you i know no this is so cool dude i look forward to getting to do more of this this is awesome no and and clearly with a setup we should come up with other stuff to watch on occasion beyond wrestling like oh we god have, like we now have this setup. oh yeah uh well well We'll find we'll 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 figure we, we can fi- we can figure out like tr- like uh like trade offs and stuff. I don't yeah. I don't know what passions I have that you lack, but we'll I'll figure something out. All right, yeah, we'll do. All right, uh, signing off. Until next time.